Hi, I'm Ahmed Noman. From KFAI, this is Miniculture. Yeah, I just want to groove people. I just want to have like some sort of a fiesta. Oh goodness, I want us to have our own building. My name is Ahmed Asad, and this is a Somali poem. This podcast brings you stories about Minnesota arts, culture, and history. They took away my way of providing for my family. Music is it. <laughs> like, it has to be like... It's the destiny. It's destiny, you know? <laughs> hey there, policeman. I can't breathe. Get this diaper! That's why get them! We go out there and we do us. Today, two Minnesotans, two humans, take very different paths towards a common goal. To dive deeper into the animal world. You're listening to a nest full of baby birds. They're begging one of their parents for food. It's from a video by Sam Easterson. The camera is incredibly close to the nest, looking straight down into the chick's open mouths. Easterson's videos of animals are all like this. It was all my notes from years of searching out really interesting footage. Offering a raw, intimate perspective on different animals' lives. His videos went viral several times, worldwide. But all that success caused Easterson to reflect on his life and what he was trying to do with his work. We'll hear some of those reflections from Easterson in the second half of this show. But first, a very different approach to the animals that surround us. And I should say before we get started, the story we were about to tell includes graphic sounds that may disturb some listeners. So here in the Midwest, it's not unusual to see the head of a deer mounted on the wall of a small town bar. But you may not have heard of more artistic taxidermy. Say, a mashup of a three-headed squirrel with angel wings? It turns out, it's a thing. And a thing that's gotten a lot of attention for good and bad in recent years. Our reporter, Lila Cherneff, produced this story about a local taxidermist who says she tries to honor dead animals with an unusual approach. Artist Serena Brewer's studio could belong to any sculptor. There's a tidy workbench with scissors, knives, and pruning shears arranged neatly nearby. So here we are in my studio. And then your eyes fall on the thawing carcass of a small mammal. And you know you're somewhere else. Oh, yeah, we're skinning a squirrel. That's Serena Brewer. She's the woman credited with starting an art movement called Rogue Taxidermy. We're going to be cutting where his little whiskers are attached. Brewer's in her mid-40s. She has straight red hair and a pale complexion. She sports fashionable eyeglasses right on the brim of her nose. When I am working with animals... It's almost like sometimes a certain animal is speaking to me and telling me like what wants to be used for next. That probably sounds kind of corny to some people, but I guess you could really liken that to like some like a um, potter working with clay. And they will say when you touch a lump of clay, how it tells you how it wants to be shaped or formed. And that's, that's kind of how I feel too. And then um, what I'll do is I'll remove the head on, on this so that it can just have the skull. Brewer is well known for her mythological taxidermy. There's the goth griffin, 
which she made using the body of a black cat attached to the arched wings and piercing head of a crow. Can't use eagles or lions, so... There's the Capricorn, which she created using the scaly tail of a fish attached to the shoulders and head of a baby goat. And then there's a crouching monkey in a fez hat clutching a martini glass. That one's called Mother's Little Helper Monkey. Yeah, that's my favorite one, I think. When Brewer first started using dead animals in her art, as a college student at Minneapolis College of Art and Design, it caused a stir. Many people thought her work was morbid and creepy. One professor suggested she see a therapist. Now we're getting down to the leg. She ignored him. While other students painted and photographed, Brewer taught herself how to skin an animal, how to mount the hide, how to mummify corpses, and how to preserve the innards. There was a lot of trial and error. I was making um, a chupacabra, and it wasn't drying fast enough. And I thought, well, what if I just put it, like, in the oven on low with a fan on it? <laughs> that wasn't a good idea. It caught on fire. <laughs> it didn't burn the house down or anything, but let's just say that apartment never really smelled the same again. In 2004, Brewer hit it big. She and a couple of other rogue taxidermists had their first show at a gallery here in Minneapolis. That exhibit wound up on the cover of the New York Times art section. Suddenly, Brewer was in the spotlight, the face of rogue taxidermy. I actually was getting emails from people that wanted me to be on te television shows and things like that. I'm not a TV person like Jimmy Kimmel, but um, shows that were approaching me were all just kind of wanted me on the show for the shock value, like, oh, look at this chick. And she does this like weird, creepy, dead animal art. And I, I take my work really serious. I didn't want to be associated with that type of thing. With the publicity came hate mail from people, including animal rights activists, who were offended by Brewer's art. People that would like threaten my life, you know, like, like, just kind of really mean. This was particularly heartbreaking to Brewer, because more than anything, she's an animal lover. As a kid, she kept bones of her beloved pets on a shelf in her room after they died. When we'd move around when I was a child, my dad would dig up our pet graveyard and we'd bring the animals with us when we moved to a new place. Inevitably, there'd be something that was like a bone or something. I'd find it. And her work felt like a continuation of that, a tribute. Brewer emphasizes that she never kills animals for her art, that all the animals are donated and have died from other causes. But that message sometimes gets lost. Art made from dead animals is provocative in our culture, where we tend to restrict death to funeral homes and meat factories, not display it on dining room tables. Okay, now we're ready to kind of... The tail is a little tricky. So I'm just going to like hold his body, the base of his tail. I think a lot of kids are taught not to touch things or that death is bad or scary. Wrap towel around the tail right there. And it just pulls right out like what was your kind of family's attitude around death? Well, um, it wasn't a dead animal wasn't something that was repulsive. It was never like, oh, you know, don't touch that. I think in general, like people in our culture, at any rate, there's just this fear of like what's going to happen to your physical body when you no longer are breathing. Do you have you thought about what you want to happen to your body? Um, well, when I was like a lot younger, before I got wrinkles, I wanted to have my head freeze dried like a Barbie head, the makeup Barbie head, like and put it in a case. Um, but then nobody that I was dating wanted to have that in the house. I kind of gave up on that idea. Um, I'm going to be donating my body to science. It is just a vessel, and when I'm done with it, there's you know. 
nothing to I don't I don't want to be in the ground like with like a rubber body in a coffin that's for sure today brewer sculptures sell for thousands of dollars so now what we're left with is you can see the squirrel carcass the geneva museum of natural history in switzerland bought a piece and so have collectors from around the world just say what it is on the bag i just write other rogue taxidermy artists teach classes around the country based on techniques Brewer helped invent. These days, Brewer's art is celebrated, not vilified. Put him in the freezer. It's kind of full right now, so hopefully nothing will fall out. <laughs> During the holidays, Brewer, her husband, and their other relatives gather in the dining room of their house, surrounded by dozens of mounted monkeys, stuffed crow cats, and two-headed squirrels. And they give thanks. For KFAI, I'm Lila Chernoff. And now, back to the more natural view of the animal world. The videos of Sam Easterson we talked about earlier in the show. Easterson returned to Minnesota recently and caught up with KFAI producer Sam Radvani, who brought us this story. Sitting on the armadillo shell, the video is mostly obscured by the animal's two pointy ears. It scurries along the desert, furiously sniffing every shrub and brush it passes. It's a perspective into the animal's life that we've never seen before, born out of a videographer's frustration. What is happening is um, no matter how skilled a wildlife filmmaker you are or storyteller you are, you're still fighting happenstance. Twin Cities-based artist Sam Easterson has received international attention for his videos over the years, and that hasn't always been easy for him. Despite some initial reservations, he agreed to talk about his work at a coffee shop in St. Paul. Yeah, I'm just like a facilitator, you know, searching out spaces that people might not search out. He first started experimenting with video in New York City, capturing footage that matched the scenery more closely. His recording devices first found their way inside washing machines, vacuum cleaners, and other industrial devices. One video is shot from the inside lid of a whirring popcorn machine, spinning as the camera is slowly enveloped in popped kernels. Leah Peterson of the Bell Museum of Natural History was part of the team that selected Easterson as one of their 2015 resident artists. One of the things that we all found so appealing is um, he uses the camera as an extension of his own eye. After exhibiting his unusual videos in museums around the country, Easterson says he thought that part of his career had run its course. But it turns out his experience in wildlife videography wasn't quite finished. While working at Toronto's Royal Ontario Museum in 2008, Easterson discovered a cache of hours and hours of wildlife footage. The scientists were using the video to study the animals, but Easterson saw something more. There are amazing hidden gems in terms of footage, and they were looking at it from a purely research standpoint, and they weren't looking at it from an aesthetic standpoint, and that's where my background comes in. So in 2009, he gathered some of those hidden gems with his own point-of-view footage on the internet. He called the project the Museum of Animal Perspectives, and it quickly garnered a following online, a big following. There was a few people I noticed would go to the site, and then one day it was 10,000, and then it was 100,000, and it just, it got out of control. This is CNN. 
We also found the creator of the Museum of Animal Perspectives, Sam Easterson. This is Science Friday. I'm Ira Plato. Sam Easterson is a video naturalist who figured From out... From New York, it's The Late Show with David Letterman. We'll be right back. The Museum of Animal Perspectives went viral several times and even trended globally on Twitter later that year. Leah Peterson says she thinks the attention comes from a universal desire to see the world from an entirely different point of view. You know, I walk my dog every day and I've always thought how awesome it would be to just get inside his head for and like be sniffing. Like, what is he, you know, what is he doing? <laughs> so I think that his, Sam's work is a way to kind of have that experience, maybe as close as possible, you know. Easterson says the transparency and authenticity of the collection attracted audiences as well. I think one of the reasons why it works so well is because it was not monetized. It was this very pure thing that you, you, I think, I hope it was clear that I did it because I just was curious myself and I wanted to share all these images with animals. As the attention around the Museum of Animal Perspectives and himself reached a feverish pitch, Easterson found himself overwhelmed. I do get the impression that Sam's interest is really doing the work for the work's sake. And it was very personal to the extent that it was my, it was all my notes from years of searching out really interesting footage. And so what had been my, what had been in my notebook was now completely available to everybody. Easterson says he enjoys shooting wildlife footage in part to find solace in the wilderness. Now, with his work on an international stage, that solitude was shattered. Perspectives. Sam Easterson was happy to chat on the phone, but he wouldn't do an on-camera interview. I can't believe you won't go on with me, but anyway, I get it. I, I hadn't thought about the, the sort of all the comments and, you know, the news media and so forth um, coming to me, and I, didn't, I wasn't very interested in it. Eventually, people began stealing footage from the site, and Easterson decided to shut it down. Still, he says he learned a lot from the experience, but the ubiquity of video recording devices in modern society, he now sees his role as more of an art curator than creator. There are so many amazing clips out there that no one has seen, so people weren't searching for the kookaburra bird because they didn't know to search for the kookaburra, but it was a, it's an amazing clip. At the height of the site's popularity, Easterson was living in Los Angeles and growing tired of the vast urban environment. He recently decided to move back to the Twin Cities where he could find more peace in the outdoors. Here feels more like home, just sort of being surrounded by uh, so much wild space and I can just go down to the Mississippi and get lost in the woods pretty quickly. There's a lot going on in all of these wild spaces and I think that's where I'd rather be, at least in spirit. Or that's where I am in spirit, probably. Finding a new perspective is its own form of escape, whether it's an armadillo, an alligator, or a solitary crane wading through a shallow pond. For KFAI, this is Sam Radley. And that'll do it for this episode of the Meniculture Podcast. Support for Meniculture is made possible by a grant from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Our music is by Javier Santiago. We'll be back soon with more stories from here in Minnesota. In the meantime, catch a wider array of programming on Fresh Air Community Radio KFAI, 90.3 FM Minneapolis, 
and 106.7 FM, St. Paul. And on the World Wide Web at kfai.org. Radio without boundaries. You can listen also using the KFAI app, which is available for Android devices through the Google Play Store and for iOS devices through the Apple iTunes Store. Thanks for listening. This is Ahmed Noman.